0: Designing a niche game can be a gamble that pays off in a huge way. You get to build a community around something unique, different, and loved by a group of people who get to share in an experience. This week on Schedule for Launch, join me, Zach Walsh, as I talk with James Kerr about his game, Fight to Survive, a tabletop role-playing game where martial arts meets heart. In this slickly designed system, take inspiration from your favorite martial arts films and take on the world, we talk about heart, Diceless systems and making stakes that matter to your character. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I am incredibly excited to be talking with James Kerr about a really cool martial arts tabletop role playing game called Fight to Survive. James, thank you so much for joining me on the show this week
1: well thank you very much for having me zach it's wonderful to be here i feel right at home
0: (laughs) it's one of those things it's not too often i get to talk with other canadian creators so i'm very excited especially because you you're really not that far off from where i am either so
1: yeah i'm in i'm in aurelia uh for those of you keeping track in the tabletop role-playing game home game uh it is the birthplace of robin d law's Oh. I'm about a stone's throw away from the house of Ed Greenwood, and a you know f- fair but not insubstantial drive from you in Niagara Falls.
0: <laughs> Enough of a difference where it would be a day trip. <laughs>
1: yep, yeah, it becomes a day trip at that point. Yeah, absolutely. But but yeah, it's fine. You know, people make day trips a lot for 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 better for worse things. You know. <laughs> but, uh.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to be talking to you about Fight to Survive. Because it's got a lot of stuff that I really like going on. Yeah, martial arts. I think the oh, what was the the slogan? It was
1: uh, you're probably is role-playing martial arts meets heart.
0: Yes, I love it. It was it's such a good tagline.
1: Well, it was uh, it was born out of um I'm sorry, I don't mean to jump jump right in, but like it was born out of kind of intense dissatisfaction with the way that martial arts are depicted in uh most other tabletop role-playing games, right? And I really wanted to uh, be able to do it in a way that would be feel meaningful because like there are lots of games out there where you can have a character and you can beat up another character, right? Like without, Mm -hmm. you know, there are kind of two player uh, fighting game type tabletop role playing games, most of them uh, anime themed and, you know, people can have their own fun. I don't like, you know, that's great. Awesome. You found that awesome. But what I wanted was something where the fights matter more than that. So it's just Uh as much about why you're getting into a fight, what's going on and what the stakes are and making sure there are nice, clear stakes and nice, clear motivations for the things that are happening uh, so that it feels meaningful. So it's not just, you know, a great big jump kick in the air and like, wow, what a jump kick. It's like feeding into the emotional capacity of why these things are going on. So it's martial arts meets heart.
0: It's from what I can tell, there is a lot of that going on too. And we're going to get into that in just a second. But. Before we do, James, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. I'm, uh, well, how I usually put it is I'm a a publisher by day. I'm a a trade magazine publisher by day. And uh, I've been doing that for probably seven years. And I've been in the tabletop role-playing game industry for about four years. Okay. Uh, Sometimes as my only means of employment. But right now I have a day job uh, and I, I get to do it at night. So most of my work has been for Pendlehaven Press, which is out of Montreal. They do the Fate of the Norns Viking system. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I did a few books for them, like six books or something. And the last book I did for them was their Children of Iru. Uh, I shouldn't say I did for them. I was, you know, part of a whole team. I, I did get <laughs> to be, uh, I did get to be the project manager and the editor, and I did do quite a bit of development on it, um, and, and got to spearhead the thing and lead the Kickstarter so mm-hmm. uh, and it was a core book like it was a big big deal book it's like the yeah. celtic uh core book for for the system and so i did that and i thought well you know i've got a backlog of my own systems i could be putting out because like you know publishing is, is no stranger to me and, and i've done this a few times now so uh, so after, I think it was six books, like some of them were adventures, some of them were, were this, that, or everything else. I, uh, I decided to strike out on my own as Radio James games and do my own Kickstarter. And this is the one I started with. I started on hard mode with a, like a weird niche product, uh, about mundane martial arts in the 20th century called fight to survive role playing martial arts meets heart. That's all I got
0: here. And that's one of the exciting things too. So we know that it's a role playing game where martial arts meets heart, but what is fight to survive? What can people expect to see in this game?
1: Uh, Well, how do we characterize it? Okay, let's get some of the hurdles out of the way, because it's pretty weird. Number one is it's diceless. And some people uh, listen to that and are like, "Ooh, diceless, ew, is it even a role-playing game? Oh, magical tea party, blah. Um, But I'd like to preface and say that it's it's diceless, but it's substantial and things are substantiated because I think a lot of diceless games get the rap of uh, being arbitrary, of their mechanics being arbitrary, Mm -hmm. uh, providing too open of a field perhaps, uh, and then not supporting the players in terms of their design to feel like their choices are clear and meaningful. Because choice paralysis is real, uh, it's, it's a real thing. If you just throw open people to anything, they don't know what to do. Uh, so what I wanted to do with this was we're working within a pretty strict sense of genre convention, which are martial arts movies. We can be a little more broad than that, but, but typically speaking, we're talking about martial arts movies. Uh, yeah. So there's only so many choices within martial arts. I'm pretty adamant of the development perspective that if it is not mechanically reinforced, it does not exist because you could do anything in any game sure but certain uh play values certain incentives lead you in certain directions in terms of play so i wanted to make sure i was leading people in certain directions in terms of play so is it diceless yes it's diceless because it doesn't need the dice Uh, but that doesn't mean it's insubstantial it's probably rules medium in terms of crunch uh, and a lot of that is just the fact that getting used to the fact that it thinks very differently so how does this shake down? Well, fights are resolved by move trumping move in a kind of rock-paper-scissors structure. Every character has five moves: grapple, punch, kick, block, and footwork, and they have a relationship to each other that's on the character sheet. So you know that kick beats punch, for instance. But uh, what else beats punch is block, because block will stop a punch, etc., uh, etc. Et so when you're getting into a round of combat. You prep a few moves usually three as the ones that you're going to have and then Zach you as the my opponent are gonna prep a few moves and then I'll throw one out I'll say I'm gonna punch him and then you'll respond with I'm gonna kick in response And I'll be like oh crap that kick beats my punch I'm, I'm gonna get kicked if I don't come up with something else and then I look at the moves I have remaining and hope I have something that's gonna be kick and then we go back and forth until someone runs out of moves and gets hit so it's it's very quick uh, it's very fast, but it had kind of two design considerations. One was, uh, I don't know how much of a system junkie you are, Zach, but like one was there are martial arts games out there that uh-huh. go into incredible detail about martial arts, like Eric Rujik's Ninjas and Super Spies is a really good example. But you kind of feel like you have to know martial arts or get a PhD in order to be <laughs> able to, to properly use that. And then the other side of things is, martial arts mechanics like i'm going to you know point to the the big elephant in the room of dungeons and dragons to say that the martial arts aspect of it is so heavily abstracted that it just feels like a collection of superpowers it doesn't really have a big relationship to to martial arts like your unarmed yeah. combat is just what you're having instead of a short sword so uh, i wanted it to feel like fighting because i have a history of fighting i have a history in the martial arts and I wanted it to feel like it was uh, you were making meaningful choices within a combat uh, to make it feel realistic. Now you can't make something realistic, but you can chase verisimilitude. Mm-hmm. And there's certainly compromises that you make in terms of like the Venn diagram of realistic and of intuitive. Because the other consideration is, I didn't want people to feel like they had to know martial arts in order to play a martial arts game. I want you to be able to make meaningful choices. Even without that, but I do want people to get a depth of understanding uh, Perhaps if they do have a background in the martial arts uh, They'll understand things why I made some of the choices I made design wise a little bit more intuitively That's the fighting structure And that's how it gets away with being diceless is because you're making these choices You're, you're choosing these moves in the moment and then the heart structure the rest of uh, the conflict resolution is done dicelessly by comparison of numbers I could, I could just keep going on. Do we just keep going on? Or? No,
0: yeah, please keep <laughs> going on. So what's exciting me about this too is that like, I was wondering how it might scratch that martial artist itch for me, because uh, a little known fact that some people might not know here is that I used to, I used to be a practitioner of Muay Thai, and actually a really bad injury is part of the reason why I got into tabletop role playing games. So there's this like very distinct connection for martial arts and tabletop games to me. So, yeah, like th- this is really incredibly fascinating to me.
1: Yeah, Muay thai is great. Uh it's it's one of the well it's one of the most effective in-ring martial arts in the world yes it is uh, so it's it's really uh and it's an exciting one to bring into a role-playing game uh, mm-hmm. and, you know i can't promise that you'll you'll be able to be as acrobatic as tony jaw because i think that defies uh reality itself yeah but, exactly uh, <laughs> but i mean muay thai is certainly in the game i started off the game because i'm trying to make it approachable as well right mm-hmm. so you have five basic martial arts in the game that are available to you which is uh boxing kickboxing rust karate, and kung fu. Now, that's that's just on the surface level. There are 50 other martial arts in Jeez. there for, for anybody who wants to to take a, a little deeper of a dive. I just didn't want people feeling like, because okay, there's two kinds of people, right? The people uh, who are going to be interested in this. And one of them is going to be like, oh, I don't really know what's going on, but I'll pick one of these five, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the other part, the rest of everyone who's like, is going to be like, do they have this obscure martial art that I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> like uh, so they're going to go down the list and be like ah uh, goju ryu karate but i don't know there's no empty handed okinawan Tay. you know so uh, but I, but i felt like there was a point of diminishing returns including more than 50 uh so that's the the martial arts side of it is is there and then the heart is the other side of it yeah every character has a scale on them uh like a, a bar that series of check boxes that fill up and there's one for health which you know pe- role players are generally familiar with If the one for hmm. health exceeds then you're, you're dead or you're whatever else but there's also one for hardship which is a, a statement of all of the emotional and physical stress that you have to go through so if you uh, your dog gets hit by a car you get a hardship if you lose your job you get a hardship if you etc uh, etc cetera, et cetera. you have to go outside when it's raining really hard you get a hardship whatever If that fills up and exceeds, then you're also out of the game, just as much as with health. You're like, you lose the will to fight, you don't want to participate in this violent lifestyle anymore, uh, and, and you quit. So, what keeps that hardship from filling up and eliminating you from the game? Well, what keeps that from happening is each character has comforts. People, places, and things that are significant to them. Uh, And mechanically, those comforts have a numerical value that when you employ those comforts, when you go and spend time with those comforts, uh, it lessens your hardship score. So I might have a girlfriend, Cindy, I might have a location of like a 50s neon chrome colored diner, and I might have a thing like... uh I don't know, pocket watch that I inherited from my grandfather. And so my hardship's getting really high. I'm starting to freak out. Like I'm not acting the way I want to as, as you know, because my hardship is so high. So I uh, go and visit my girlfriend, Cindy, and I'm like, maybe we go to the movies or something. And I, I've got a three in Cindy. So Cindy lowers my hardship by three. And then I can get back into the fight, so to speak, because getting into fights is both physically dangerous and uh, emotionally stressful. So yeah, uh, the, the, violent aspect of it has to be counterbalanced by you dealing with your life. Now here's the real kicker. Uh, it's easy to run because I'm lazy as a GM, I'm a forever GM, <laughs> but I'm fairly lazy. And uh, I want it to be easy to run. Every game is characterized by the GM taking one of those comforts and putting it under threat so you choose your comfort space knowing that they're going to go on the shopping block so if if cindy is your person she's going to get kidnapped i'm sorry you know if if the diner is your thing somebody's going to try and trash that diner if if the pocket watch somebody just pickpocketed the pocket watch whatever it is uh so the year starts off with a comfort under threat cindy's been kidnapped what are you going to do about it so you took some hardship just for cindy being kidnapped if you don't get her back you're going to take a whole lot of hardship and you're really going to suffer for it so your comforts are both what's saving you and what's dragging you into this violent lifestyle that you don't necessarily want to pursue. So it's that tension, the tension between violence and how horrible violence is. And you know, the 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 glory of having to pursue this violent acts that give it meaning. Yeah. So you're fighting four
0: things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kind of like that through line of the 20th century martial arts films or like the old NES games with like Double Dragon, Enter the Dragon, that's... Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, my the one I've been touting a lot
1: is um, there's a few cinematic influences that were really big in this. Um, my one story that I keep going back to is I was watching Bloodsport, like Jean-Claude Van Damme, 1988. Yeah, And there was a scene where he was on the bus in Hong Kong and Stan Bush is playing a song in the background and he's looking troubled our Frank Dukes played by jcbd and he, he stares into the, a window and he sees the reflection of chong Li, his enemy and then he, when he stares across the bus chong lee isn't there because he's uh he's troubled and i, I remember yeah. thinking like damn like this is better than people give it credit for i love it and i wish there was a way to mechanically reinforce that in a role-playing game and make that relevant so that was kind of the quest was to make the heart the heart of a martial arts movie uh Appealing on a on a mechanical perspective, so that you have incentive to lean into those dramatic moments and exciting moments. Bloodsport's a really good example, actually, because Chung Lee, like when he uh, beats up Jackson, steals his bandana, so he steals his comfort, and then John Van Dam has to fight to get the comfort back that's under threat, and uh, it works out mechanically in terms of the game too. So,
0: yeah, that's really cool. One of the things that I think is really interesting about Fight to survive is specifically this entanglement that you have with intergenerational violence and multi generations.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you ever played uh, Greg Stafford's King Arthur Pendragon, but I shamelessly I shamelessly lifted the kind of idea of it—not the mechanics of it, obviously—but the, the idea of it from him. Uh, there are other games that do multi generational aspects, like Legacy is probably the mm-hmm. most well known one, uh, Life Among the Ruins, and its kind of offshoots, but where it's coming from and sometimes people can not understand why this is a good thing when they just hear it but they need to play it every game session is typically one to three years or so and uh the idea is that only you get blips of what's happening in someone's life as you're passing through that life and you spend more and more time filling in those details in a way that isn't forced right in a way that isn't open-ended like blank page like I'm not, uh, I, I don't want to cast dispersions on anybody's fun. Good time. I am not particularly fond of story games because I always feel like they lack personal stakes. As soon as I'm put in charge of a narrative, I care less about my character. I care less about my character's perspective. Not everybody feels that way, but that's, that's yeah, how I feel. About things. So I wanted to try and keep the action grounded in your own kind of selfish, insular sense of decisions uh so you're not responsible for a larger narrative beyond the way you would in a uh i guess any role-playing game where you're, you're expected to describe your apartment or something um yeah. so it's it, uh the the idea is that getting to adventure so to speak only briefly and having these encounters which could be minor or they could be major they could be life-changing or they could be completely mundane uh, and just involve some violence because they usually do uh and then you get to move on and as your character ages they don't take the hits as well those harm boxes for health and those hardship boxes start disappearing you just have fewer of them as you age so it becomes harder to take those hits you're like yeah you're getting better and better at throwing out those punches and kicks but like your body just can't take it anymore in the same way and the way health works you might have something linger in one of your check boxes for potentially years like unhealed so you're like oh i got I got into a fight, you know, in 52 in that uh, drunken brawl in the bar and and the guy who threw me against the wall, my shoulder just never healed properly and and et cetera, et cetera, because, you know, those things happen like that happens. Um, And uh, so that's baked into the game, uh, uh, that notion that something can just stay with you. And there could come a point at which you uh, the character, you just want to you think the character's time is past and you're like, it's time for them to retire or, you know, they go out in a blaze of glory (laughs) (laughs) need to come up with another character um but because you've got these comforts because you've got these relationships it's easy to uh to form like relationships with npcs are one of the biggest parts of the game with this sense of place that you have especially and i didn't mention this earlier your comforts are shared between player characters. That's what binds them. That's why, like, Zach, you might be, from our karate dojo, I might be like an underground boxer or something, but what do we have? Well, Cindy's my girlfriend, but Cindy is your sister. Or we both go to the same diner. Or, um, you know, we have identical pocket watches. Why, is there a mystery? You know, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) However however you can connect them, uh, you know, they they connect, and we, we bond over those things. And as you get more and more years, those things change and grow, and you know it might turn out that Cindy and I have children, and then like I've been invent- like been progressing through the game for ten years or something or twenty years, and-, and it might be time for me to hang up my hat and pass along the mantle of a martial lineage to my child or to my students in general if I've opened up a school or uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's the I didn't want this game to be a one off and a lot of niche games like a lot of smaller indie role playing games are really only built for one off sessions. Yeah. But I wanted to make something that was rich for long-term play without falling into the rat race of your numbers on the sheet climbing, but also the difficulty that you're supposed to be hitting climbing along with those numbers, because that doesn't actually, uh, improve you (laughs) in (laughs) any way. It's just, it's just a rat race. So how do we make, uh, your progress feel meaningful as a character? Uh, and a way that you can play over a long period of time without diluting the content, so to speak. And mm-hmm. how it works for this is because you're interacting with these comforts all the time, they're falling under threat. Riva's diner is being attacked by thugs or is, being, is you know, it burned down in 72 or, or whatever else. Um, you get a history, you get a long history with these people and these places and these things that's intertwined between the different player characters. And you end up uh, like choosing really meaningful successors to those uh, lineages and building this tapestry of the martial world in this city that that uh, captures all the action, and it gets richer and richer the more you play, and you get to the point where you're like, well, guys, we've d- we've done everything we can, but like, I really want to know. What happens to the next generation like what happens as if we keep going like as a as a GM It's a wonder for me because I just get to find out what happens like I just have to pull the trigger on one Oh, buddy your uh, cat ran away like one comfort has to go under threat and uh, and then I kind of like try to threaten everybody else's comforts as as it comes up and then they just you know they deal with their struggles and they uh, Try to solve them and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and uh, it's it's always an adventure so I'm getting a little bit off track, but the point is (laughs) the multi-generational play is at the heart of it because it gives it a richness. It gives it a tapestry. I don't know if you've seen Cobra Kai, but uh, the TV show Cobra Kai is a really good example of multi-generational martial lineage because you've got... Uh, Your your mr. Miyagi's and your John creases and your Terry Silver's in one generation and then you've got your Daniel LaRusso's and your Johnny Lawrence's in the next generation and you've got your Miguel's and Robbie's and Samantha's and etc. Etc. The generation after that and the game Mm -hmm. can play out an awful lot like that Um, You know, well just like when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons You can often start off a group being like we're gonna be like Lord of the Rings and you end up like Holy Grail uh similar to that is you know sometimes people will, will start the game and be like we're gonna be like blood sport and end up like miami connection and you know that's <laughs> that's fine too that's fine too or ninja three the domination you know uh like people have their own way of of structuring the fun of it and that's that's great uh but it ends up like in the middling kind of goal it ends up being a lot like cobra kai where your characters are mixed together and there's lots of motivations and bad blood and good blood and old loyalties and and multi-generational aspects and people are betraying each other it's not necessarily a very pvp game it does happen but uh-huh. uh but it is you know it's it's as, it can be there as much as people the players want to lean into it because it's a very player directed experience
0: and this is kind of how you design it to avoid being a power fantasy and more of a grounded personal story then
1: yeah, God, it doesn't work as a power fantasy at all
0: because, uh, <laughs> well, you know, I,
1: have, I even had a playtester like scratch his head after like 10 weeks or something and be like, this isn't a power fantasy at all. And I'm like, no, no, I'm sorry, buddy. Like it's it's because none of those martial arts movies really are They're about uh, they're about misery and they're about things being hard and you triumphing regardless. Right. Like you overcoming mm-hmm. how how like terrible your enemy is. Is Or you're overcoming your physical limitations or you're overcoming your whatever else Uh, I'm a huge fan of the 70s Shaw Brothers kung-fu movies and uh, You know I could go down that whole rabbit hole but like the American kung-fu films or the American martial arts films of the probably mid 70s to mid 90s are kind of the spiritual successor in some ways of those films yeah, and uh, and they're best represented here I could do a whole book just on Shaw Brothers and Golden Harvest, but uh Uh, But they all, they're united in their thematic sense of like, no, things are really hard. Like things are really, really hard. Uh, The world is very difficult and uh, it's not going to be easy on you. And it does feel kind of punishing sometimes, but it means that those moments where you get to put your head above water and you get to be victorious and maybe you get to win, like that's, those are the moments you live for, right? They're just not going to come all the time. So it's it's not a power fantasy because humans are frail. Uh, in, in this yeah. context, that's not always fun to play. In some games, you want that power fantasy, right? Uh, but in this particular case, in this game, uh, humans are frail. Uh, they're not as squishy as like Morkborg, but they're they're frail, and uh, <laughs> and you take on like emotion matters. You take on hardship based on uh, how much things are going on that are lousy, and. That is reminding you of how much, you know, there's, there's issues of economic oppression in the game, there's issues of systemic racism, there's issues of, because it deals with the 20th century, we can't uh, yeah. avoid uh, 20th, the, the, like the facts of 20th century history. I mean, you can, you can wax and wane your focus on them based on table to table, based on your interests, mm-hmm. but there are still these things that were very real, uh, that existed and uh, can factor into your game in a meaningful way. Uh, in terms of how much it's not a power fantasy. <laughs> and I know I know some people just want to play that way and that's totally legit. I'm not Yeah. but but in terms of trying to bring out the genre emulation that this is aiming for, um it's just not aiming in that direction. You know, it's just like I yeah. love Street Fighter 2. I love it. I was just one of the like I, I made all Ontario in a Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition tournament in like 93 or 94 or something. Uh, I love it but this game is not about throwing fireballs and this game is not about your fist lighting on fire uh it's uh it's about it's about different no it's about different things right it's about how fancy like a fancy jump kick is and how uh you know Br- bruce lee when he in fist of fury when he goes into the japanese dojo and takes on the whole japanese dojo and you're like wah, you know like th- things can be spectacular without having to be uh you know world-ending magic-like mm-hmm. super-powered stuff like let's keep the stakes low let's keep them personal uh let's have it be meaningful that somebody stole your car let's have it be meaningful that uh uh you know somebody's taken over your casino and is booting you out and uh, wants to meet you on the roof at midnight like like i think there's lots that we can do in this space in this design space that whole genres of film are based around uh that we can revel in and enjoy
0: we haven't really seen the same level for those martial art films in recent years and something that i think is great about the 70s to the mid 90s ish is how diverse and how many different films are coming out of a lot of different countries and something that you kind of help use to emulate and capture those different cultures is actually the setting for this game which is metro city how did you go about designing metro city to kind of help lend to those themes of showing off old school films
1: well i mean mentor city was born out of firstly a um, a design consideration to make the game easier to play because if you've got these comforts like your girlfriend sydney and like your diner and like your whatever else if you don't have them near you then you can't access those comforts yeah similarly um, you advance in training by having a stage where you can train, like, this is the place where my heavy bag is, and my my, uh, my mukjong, and whatever else. And you advance based on the tutelage of a teacher, uh, and if you don't have access to those, you cannot advance the character. So, everything happens within Metro City, not everything, everything, but most things happen within Metro City. Partly because it makes it really scary when you have to, like, go to Japan to get something or when you have to like go off into the middle of the ocean because you're without your support network physically and emotionally you are literally in a strange land uh no matter what the land is like it doesn't matter what the land is It just matters that you're beyond the the realm of Metro City. You're out of the familiar You don't have access to your comforts. You probably can't train under your teachers So any training that you do af- abroad is going to be mitigated uh, and it feels scary and it feels uh Mitigate like it, it feels significant doing that and going going someplace every game every like long-running session I've run a fight to survive has involved people leaving the city at some point uh, I just wanted the the GMs to be able to have something grounded, and to be able to describe these districts that are that chop up the city very simply, so that the meta narrative doesn't get in the way of play.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because if the characters are coming up with their own comforts, those comforts are what like form the environment. That's what forms yeah. the, the 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 basis of play. I didn't want a meta narrative trumping that. So everything in the book is designed to be a kind of springboard to action to facilitate. What's going on with the characters and their story? Metro City is basically just a cheap device to keep people uh, within reach of their comforts, but still like having to reach outside them sometimes to go into like a scary district that they may never have gone into. Like you guys have got to go into the Battery. It's the slums. It's the abandoned factory district. You know, there's uh, like steam coming up from all of the sewer grates, and you've got some disenfranchised uh, biker gangs over here, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. So things feel it feels meaningful just traveling within the city. Thematically, uh, it's a takeoff of a lot of old video games that were a takeoff of a lot of those martial arts films. Games like mm-hmm. Final Fight, which is a Capcom game, which took place in a metro city as well. Yep. Uh, games like uh, Fatal Fury, which took place in Southtown, and similarly had like this person is the is the like martial arts king of this district, and this person is the martial arts king of dis- this district, and you kind of frame these little tiny martial ecologies. are going on across town which gives a a really great sense of meaning to the location and it's easy to uh, to build on that to to build on those building blocks right so that's why I had it take place in Metro City I also really wanted it to be like a I've had some interviewers kind of surprised that I'm like you mean like a North American Hong Kong that's so weird Um, and I keep having to bite my tongue because it's basically just Toronto Right,
0: I was. That's what I had in mind. I'm not gonna lie. I was thinking <laughs> Toronto, but it's I just, I didn't just say anything. So yeah, it's Toronto. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and even in the early uh, 20th century, in like the 1910s and the 1920s, when the Tong Wars were raging, they were raging in San Francisco, New York, and Toronto. Right. We, Toronto mm. has a rich history of uh you know not so great underground martial arts activities oh, yeah. uh so but like you know if you, if you try to like sell the game based on the oh yeah and you get to adventure in toronto it's, it's not as <laughs> it's maybe not as sexy for our uh for our you know people from other countries to to understand that so it gets framed as metro city it gets framed as a kind of north american hong kong because hong kong is a wonderful example of a of a very multicultural city like it was mm-hmm. a huge multicultural hub uh, I wanted to deal with the kind of like waves and waves of immigration that happened to uh, to North America where the people brought their martial arts with them, uh, how martial arts exploded after World War II uh, and what martial arts were already going on, you know, et mm-hmm. cetera, so, et cetera. So, uh, yeah. but again, like I, you know, I love that history. I'm a complete nerd for it, but there's only so much a reader is going to stomach that usually. So those things come out at, in, in small ways of parsing them out. So for instance, the, that chart of 50 martial arts, each of them will just have a little date in there of when they were introduced into Metro City and when they became prominent in Metro City, like when they became publicly known. Like, So that's how I'm kind of scattering a lot of the history around is like, well, yeah, Taekwondo could have existed in Metro City like any time after the 60s, really, but it was the 88 uh, Seoul Olympics that made it popular, right? So yeah. it wasn't it wasn't really, like trying to get out this little tiny like one line, Just just give me one line of space Uh, to get out these little bits of history to trick people into uh, having a broader understanding of the martial world. Like, oh yeah, the first karate dojo was opened by Robert Trias uh, coming back from world war two, where he learned karate from a Chinese monk uh, who is traveling there. And, you know, and uh, he opened it up in like, I don't know, what was it? 1952, 1952 in California. Was it really that recent? Yeah, it was, but uh, the, well, I mean, this is the history that we have. It not necessarily mm-hmm. the history that's true so who knows how many other people opened up karate studios and just didn't say anything about it right yeah um but uh, in terms of the martial history that we do have apparently it was robert Trias. Uh, but I get to use Mar- Metro City as a big, fat excuse. So suddenly, instead of Robert Trias opening it up in California, uh, it happens in Metro City. Instead of the, uh, Ed Parker starting the World International Karate Tournament in 1955 in, like, you know, uh, I forget where it was, San Francisco, uh, I get started in Metro City, like, et cetera, et cetera. So we mm-hmm. get to kind of crib a lot of martial history uh, into into the one setting to make it easier as a GM, to make it more digestible as a player, uh, and to give a profound sense of place to the location.
0: Yeah, kind of creating this martial arts hub then.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's a very long winded explanation, but like a lot of thought went into <laughs> like, let's make a city and let's uh, fill it with interesting kind of districts that are culturally and economically distinct. And uh, and let's have them play against each other and do something really interesting with, uh, with it as a location.
0: That's so much more than I expected, but I'm really glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> James, I think something that's really important for people to know, especially those who are listening to this on release, is that this game is currently backing for about another week at this point. So you're on Kickstarter right now. What has your experience with Kickstarter been like? I know that you said that you threw in a couple like really high Reward tiers and they kind of left you a little bit excited when they got taken So do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience with Kickstarter and how that's been going?
1: Well, the goal is $6,000 Canadian, I don't know what that is Hmm. American probably you know something less American, but uh, $6,000 Canadian It's a modest goal. I'm used to traditional publishing methods and offset printing But I chose to go with the print-on-demand route Mm-hmm. For this much as it broke my heart because we're in the middle of a paper crisis and we're in the middle of the ink, an ink crisis and I wanted the people who were Wanted to contribute to the game to have control over when they press the button to get it printed Yeah So this way that they could do it right away if they wanted to or they could wait until prices calm down on printing and shipping If they wanted to or they could like it puts the power into into their hands uh, And makes it really transparent in terms of like this is what you're paying me to pay an artist and to pay an editor and to pay a sensitivity reader, uh, yeah. and, and this is what you're paying for the book. So people know exactly how these things are breaking down. Uh, so for that reason, I thought print on demand was an attractive option for this. I, I things are it's pretty cheap. Like I kept my prices pretty low because I'm just I'm selfish. I just want I just want it. I just want this book. Uh, so. So uh, it's pretty cheap, but I did include some preposterous reward tiers at two hundred and fifty dollars each Which included a make your own character for the game like make a PC for the game that we then towed around to conventions And those all went within the first 48 hours So I think what I've done with this game And I it was what I set out to do is because you can't make a game that everyone likes a game that everyone likes is quickly Forgotten you've got to make a game that some people love Unfortunately, and I think I've done that given how quickly those reward tiers uh, were gone Unfortunately mm-hmm. a game that some people love but not everyone likes sometimes has a hard time finding its audience So we're at 87% funded now. We're not 100% funded. We got a week ago. We'll be funded fine But I really want people to get involved because I really want this game to be a product of its community I think it's wonderful that people are contributing to the player characters on the high tiers but there's also a number of add-ons in case people want to leave their mark on the game like there's this big map of metro city that we're going to do and i've got a uh, an add-on for naming a street and i've got an add-on for naming a martial arts school and i've got an add-on for uh naming an opponent because there's going to be reams and reams of opponents in the back so that the game ends up being like the mechanics are done the game is done the editorial's done but let's bring people in to contribute to the lore so that there's a lot of voices uh, adding into the game. I think that's really exciting. I think that that really excites me, the idea of community involvement within the game development. And that's what the Kickstarter offers now. So if you want to be involved in the game, if you want to be a part of the game, if you even want to insert yourself into the game, now is the opportunity while the Kickstarter is still going on.
0: It's really exciting to me too, because I've been watching this for... Uh, about a little under a week now you contacted me, I think it was, and actually we we're supposed to do this interview yesterday, but as some people might be able to hear with my voice, I was not in 100% condition, so, but thankfully we're getting to do this, and I've been watching the number steadily climb, I've actually seen a lot of ads too for Fight to Survive, which is exciting and cool, so. Oh good, they're working, they're working. Yes, they, that are. <laughs> they are, they are i've seen a number across various platforms so excited about that i really like the sound of this game i really like the look of it
1: well i should i should mention that i should mention the artist uh because credit where credit's due it shouldn't take me 40 minutes into an interview to gloat about ian but uh ian mcclain is a, a wonderful artist uh, he's been in the business he's been specifically in the tabletop role-playing game business for 20 years
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and he's done art for call of cthulhu he's done art for pathfinder he's done art for uh too many small indie publishing houses for me to li- to list he's also canadian <laughs> uh so i'm canadian he's canadian and we're we're, we're uh, getting into bed with this i'm doing the writing i've done the writing i've done the development i've done the Pretty much everything except he's the artist because I, you know, nobody wants to see my art. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but his art is gorgeous. It's wonderful. You can see some examples of it on the Kickstarter page. Uh, you know, the art that we have before launch is limited because largely the Kickstarter is going to pay properly for the art and to pay properly for editing and to pay properly for sensitivity reading. Because if we value art and we value uh, people being employed in the arts, we need to be able to pay them. I mean because too much comp work. When I'm I'm taking a yeah. stance against comp work and paying people properly. So that's largely what this Kickstarter is doing is uh let's pay people properly, let's have some gorgeous knockout martial arts art. Uh and some of the stuff Ian's given me is just just knocks my socks off. Goodness. There
0: was a piece that Ian did and it's actually was the final kinda like lock into me picking up Call of Cthulhu. So yeah, he he's a phenomenal artist. Yeah, yeah,
1: he's really great, and he's he's really great to work with too. Uh, so it's been it's been a blessing for me. I've known him for years and years and years, and I just kind of was waiting for an excuse to bring him in as an artist for something, and this was particularly up his alley. Uh, he sent me screenshots last night of him watching Bloodsport, so like we're we're in the thick of it uh, in terms of like the martial art bad martial arts movie Stockholm Syndrome that's going on. It's, uh, it's definitely like
0: one other thing like one final thing that's kind of going there is that there is talks of you having some expansion books and adventures for fight to survive what are some of your ideas that you have so far going into it
1: well first off um i was talking earlier about my love of old kung fu movies like mm-hmm. shaw brothers kung fu movies in the 70s yeah. and golden harvest companies that's a whole book unto itself right because i only got to, <laughs> to to delve into the the kind of different aspects of kung fu and fight to survive uh, to a fair extent, like I didn't get to go fully down that rabbit hole. I really want to go fully down that rabbit hole because only so many people are going to care about the difference between Northern praying mantis Kung Fu and Southern praying mantis Kung Fu and how they have nothing to do with each <laughs> other. Uh, like, no, no, like the Wang Lang and Chao Gar are entirely separate. And, and really we've got the snap kicks and anyway, I can keep, keep going. But the point is, uh, there's a lot to explore there so i'm using each of the expansion books as a cheap excuse to explore uh deeper into the kind of genre emulation of uh different aspects of the core book the core book gets to be a full complete competent game you could play it for a hundred years but everything in it is kind of springboard whereas i get to dive a little bit deeper into uh, some specific influences and instances in each of the expansion books so the the kung fu one is one expansion book there's also an expansion book for taking it into the 20th century or the sorry 21st century uh because i i know i said no fireballs but i kind of wanted to explore things like van Damme's cyborg or don the dragon wilson's future kick or like there's a there's a whole streak of like post-apocalyptic mad maxi martial arts films uh that were usually low budget and wonderfully terrible and i love them uh, so i'd love to go down like through through those doors as well there's also an expansion for solo play uh and there's an expansion for like going just full-on 80s neon kickboxing movie uh like best of the best and there's an expansion for well there's a whole bunch of them i'll be releasing them later in the week uh there's all kinds of i put on in all kinds of ridiculous stretch goals which we're almost certainly never to meet uh but I'm having a lot of fun with it. I'm having a lot of fun with the community. I'm having a lot of fun running this Kickstarter. It's been wonderful. And I'm looking forward to getting the, getting it funded and getting the go ahead to just keep playing in that space. So yeah, there's, there's a whole vibrant line uh, planned between expansion books and adventures and, uh, and little tiny one-off ideas that would be great to see funded.
0: I'm excited to see what comes from it too. James, we are starting to run low on time here though. So I got, Two more pretty simple questions for you, if that's all right. Oh, sure. So one of my favorite questions to ask on this show comes up at the end of basically every episode. And that is, what advice can you give someone looking to make their own game, but they don't really know where to start?
1: Oh, uh, make it anyway. Right. It's just like the advice of I want to be a writer. Okay, right just start writing like you 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 go out and you read you read as much diverse content as you can you play as much diverse content as you can because something you're thinking of might already have been solved by someone else Uh, and then once you have a burning this is just speaking for my own personal creative process once you have a burning frustration in you that one thing that you want to do is not represented at all in the industry that this the thing does not exist then do that and uh, regard that you know you might have to Do it to an audience of no one. You just have to do it for yourself. And if you can find your audience, then that is the most amazing feeling. Uh, But do it anyway and keep doing it. And so long as you feel passionately about it and you're getting something out of it, keep going. And eventually, uh, you'll be experienced enough that people will ask you to be on design panels. Uh, and you'll turn around and say, but what do you mean? I've just been passionately plying my trade at this uh, for, for years and years and years on end. Oh, wait a second. Uh, so it's it's just like the advice to any artist is do, 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 draw, 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 make, 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 right? Just get out there and make. If you're doing development of role-playing games specifically, actually, there is some specific advice. Get it to the table as fast as possible. Build up your basic idea and don't put in too many details get it to the table because your basic idea might be inherently flawed it might sound great in your brain uh, but play testing is the thing that will determine whether a game is good or not whether a game is playable or not because you can write anything you like but the way that people are gonna play it at the table is the way the game is going to exist so you're writing your writing about the game is not sacred it is entirely disposable uh, so you should do mo- be doing most of the editorial after Uh, It has been at the table for a long time, after it has matured at the table, then you can start codifying things. It's good to experiment, it's good to fool around. Each individual playtest group only has so much patience for how much things can change, but but it just means you need to cycle through many playtest groups and do blind playtesting as well. And I know that's a lot of work, I know it takes a long time, but that's how you know if you actually have a game, is by playtesting.
0: Some phenomenal advice. We had other similar advice, so that's that's why I like that when people are matching up on their ideas. So,
1: <laughs> well, anybody who's been designing for any length of time has had can tell you stories about how they had this great, great idea for a fantastic thing that was going to revolutionize the role-playing game industry, and then nobody understood it at the table. Yeah, I've not heard flick. that. It would not click with anyone, and, and the fact is, like the way you think of things in your brain, uh, you can try and approximate, you can try and narrow in on reality, but like the way you think of things is not necessarily how things are going to play out, and what is important is how it plays out. Uh, games have to be a practical, social experience, they can't just be a thought experiment. I mean, I guess you could just make a game that's a thought experiment, and I've seen a few role-playing games that are definitely just thought experiments. But I mean, whether that's a valid artistic form of expression, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm qualified to say that, but for me, the real game isn't in the book. The real game is in the minds of the players, where each of it is a little bit different, and it forms a kind of bizarre brand gestalt between each of them. And, and that is where the real game rests, not in these pages.
0: Yeah, I, I can agree to that. I totally agree there. James, where can people find out more about you and Fight to Survive?
1: I have a website, radiojamesgames.com. We also have a Radio James Games Facebook page and a Radio James Games Discord, and each of them I think will link to each of the other ones. But you can go to Kickstarter, well, the Kickstarter is still going on, uh, for Fight to Survive, Role Playing Martial Arts Meets Heart, but if you do miss it, just go to radiojamesgames.com and I'll have all the information up there for you to be able to purchase it at a later time uh, once it becomes available.
0: As always, audience, those links are going to be in the description down below. Go back this game. I did literally while I was talking to James. I went back this game. It was about two minutes before we actually started the recording, if that. I'm really excited about Fight to Survive, and I I can't wait to see more come out of it. It's unique and interesting. and something a little bit different, so I'm excited about that james thank you so much for joining me on the podcast this week
1: well thank you so much zach it was wonderful to be here
0: and audience thank you so much for listening james and fight to survive they're scheduled to launch really soon take care of yourselves have a good week we'll see you on the next one bye thank you so much to james for joining me on the podcast this week if you're listening to this within the first week of release that's anytime before april 13th of 2022 then there's still one more week for you to go and back Fight to Survive on Kickstarter. Go check out this game. James is incredibly passionate and from what I've seen about Fight to Survive, it's going to be really amazing. The link is gonna be in the top of this episode's description. And thank you for listening, audience. I'm gonna try and keep this short because if you can't tell, my voice ain't doing so hot, which makes me sound sort of peaked out during the recording and a little odd, If you like the show and you want to hear more, please leave a review or tell someone what you think. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow. I'm still looking for more people to bring onto the show and talk about their games, so if you know somebody, please reach out to me. I'd love to have them on. So due to this whole throat thing, there's not going to be a new episode next week, but I'm going to try and get some more interviews sorted out, and it's going to be good to go. We're going to have a fun time really soon once I'm feeling better. Take care of yourselves, and I'll chat with you really soon. Bye.